everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, I had a little struggle trying to get my microphone in the right spot. And uh, speaking of struggle, folks, I apologize in advance. Um, for some reason, I could not shut off my brain last night, and I've got like four or five hours of sleep, and this whole stupid jag-off daylight savings time that we've got going on today spring forward yeah uh gosh does everybody do it or just the u.s like every other i don't country? i truly have no idea but every year i hate it yeah i'm gonna look it up afterwards but if somebody from like you know australia or uk can or any you know we actually i, I was just looking over the countries that listen to us australia pretty good like following nice yeah like all over australia awesome. so i mean outside the u.s it's like 90 percent u.s but everybody else i mean there's there's people from all over the place i think like every continent outside of like uh antarctica obviously. that's pretty cool and the I'm polar even, bears aren't listening no no scientists Dang. yet that i Dang. know of but if you did then let us know so yeah i'm, I'm gonna be struggling uh struggle bus it's uh, all that all, all the little things if you thought i had problems coming up with words <laughs> before it's going to be really hard <laughs> when today. i woke you up this morning it was pretty funny why what happened <laughs> you like startled yeah <laughs> It was pretty funny. I, I Well, I didn't even know if I slept at all. I'm pretty sure I did. So I was just like thinking about life. And like, I'm apparently I was a couple times I laid there. I'm like, this is what Allison does. Yeah. This well, is horrible. You know what's funny, though, is my brain doesn't necessarily go crazy. I just sometimes I can't sleep. Oh, I was just full on thinking, thinking, thinking. That's like, when you need to get up and put your thoughts on paper. Yeah. So that you could just brain dump and then go back to sleep. That would have been very helpful. And I. I actually, I thought about going on the computer and typing a little bit. I don't know if uh, the computer is the best because Probably it's got not. the light. Yeah. I would say pen and paper would be your best. Yeah. I would. And you're like, I took a warm shower. I'm like, when the hell time were you showering last night? And I think 1 a.m. So, it, <laughs> oh and we get up God. around 6 or whatever. Oh, uh, um, yeah. I woke you up at 7. It, I swear to God, it feels like three hours of sleep because oh, I think funny. I kept on thinking and I took, you know, a, a pill to help me sleep, like just, what, Benadryl or something. And uh, it was, yeah, I, that, I never do that. It, so I'm sorry if everybody out there that has sleeping problems, like this yeah, is horrible. Sleeping problems really do suck, man. Yeah. So um, enough about me. How about these uh, cool t-shirts we got on? Oh, these old things? Yeah. I just pulled this out of the back of my closet. I only wear it when I don't care how I look. <laughs> I only wear it when I don't care how I look. That's says, from, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, there you go. Nice. Violet. Violet. Um, yeah, so we, we got merch, folks. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the last episode or no. Is this the first time we're mentioning it? No, you said you were going to set it up last week. Yeah, and I and, did. I mean, look at golly. this guy. He is a man of action. Not only did he set it up, he ordered the shirts for us. We're wearing them. Yeah, pretty neat. I, I don't even know who you are. You would think you'd get a significant discount or something, but um, we didn't. So we pretty much paid it. Now, I, you know, we're making barely anything on the shirts, yeah, like a dollar maybe, because uh, we want to get the name out there. So if you're nice enough to want to support us, then go ahead, yeah, um, you know, just cl- click the link. And as far as uh, coffee cups, it's really hard. So these cups that we are going to have made are have to go all the way up to the top. So I have to have them custom made. So I got to buy like 500 of them or something. So well, working you on the haven't art. purchased it yet. No working on the artwork okay, so i have because that's really what people have voiced interest in absolutely so they'll be up soon yeah um and also want to say hey if uh, you don't want to you know spend any money but want to support us for free good way to do that is jumping on your iphone or any other device and going to your review center of wherever you listen from us and give us five stars or if you're on like apple or spotify or i think there's a couple others you can do a text review too those help us out quite a bit mm-hmm, absolutely right? so thank you for that and um yeah i mean 
Uh, oh, you're else. not reading a v- review today. We okay. told you, folks, it's yeah. going to be a, a tough one for yeah, Mike, but that's okay, one. Mike. I'm here for you. The listeners are here for you. We support you. We love you. Hey, love you too. We so, do. Thanks, thanks, folks. And then I, I really, I watched you try to make our bed this morning as I was blow drying my hair. I could see you in the mirror. I don't remember that. <laughs> God, I'm looking at. Him, I'm like, oh, look at him. How sweet. I'm like, I'm going to go back behind him and fix that. <laughs> <laughs> like when Mike fixes the bed. It's like it never happened. Well, I'm going to be honest. I do the bare minimum because I think it's so stupid to fix a bed. But it really I, makes a difference. I, it does look better, but at the same time, I'm not willing to put in the full effort to make oh, it look Oh, I see that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just kind of fix the sheets. And that way, you're kind of like, okay, well, he tried. And it then you like cute. you let me off the hook. Um, our our house is one story. So like, if you come in, <clears throat> excuse me, into our front door, you could see our bedroom. That's the only reason I make it. Just yeah. in case somebody comes in. If we had the, a two-story house, who cares? Nobody could see it. Sure. But it's not like we are having people over or anything i see it no right yeah um oh, one quick thing would you say these shirts are a little smaller like they run small i don't know this one fits me pretty well what size did you order me i medium oh I think. oh if it's a medium then it runs small yeah so i don't know what it is. I'll, I'll check but um mine is extra large i'm 62243 ish right now so um i it, mine's extra large and it fits me good like really good but if if you're like teetering on an xl yeah then maybe size up it depends if mine if you ordered me a size small it fits perfectly if you ordered me a size medium it definitely runs small yeah i don't know so um oh we just got a patron new patron while we're sitting here oh wow look at that wow live on the air who knew so um are you ready to get started you want to mention anything else no i well if i will maybe it'll be in the middle and completely won't fit so it'll be good (laughs) all right so this is the murder of molly tibbetts and this was a listener suggestion um from the instagram user basically just myself so thank you very much for this anytime you have a a suggestion for us go to instagram and send us a direct message that'd be um the easiest yeah and mike sends it to me i screenshot it i send it off to my little pinterest board it's super super helpful and i seriously appreciate it so on wednesday july 18th 2018 20 year old molly tibbetts was dog sitting for her boyfriend dalton jack she was staying at his house when she headed out for her typical mid-evening jog in her small town of brooklyn iowa so this is brooklyn iowa not brooklyn new york yeah you're gonna refer to brooklyn a few times we're in iowa folks iowa very very different location this is you know a very small town so um this is when she disappeared sadly so brooklyn has a population of about 1500 it's located about 52 miles to the west of iowa city molly was born on may 8th 1998 in oakland california to parents rob and laura her parents divorced when she was in second grade. Molly moved to Iowa with her mom and her two siblings when she was in fourth grade. Despite the long distance um, from where she lived compared to her dad, the two remained very, very close. She had a good relationship with both of her parents. That's good. That's always something you want to you know think about as you're listening to these stories was a relationship with her parents. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to probably run a long distance relationship with your daughters. You just have to make sure you set up flights and yeah. see each other. You make you know. the time. Yeah, exactly. Because... I was separated from my parents when I went off to college. I was at Northern Illinois University. They were in Florida. I saw them on Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, all of that. I would say, yeah, your parents left you. High and dry. You're super nice like that. Very supportive. (laughs) I try to make them feel as sorry as possible. Well, they, you know, I was 18 years old. They wanted to move to Florida. I understand. I'm not a selfish dick like you. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, so the last time Molly had seen her father was at his wedding in June. He got remarried. It was one month before she had disappeared. So Molly was a psychology major at the University of Iowa. She was focusing on child psychology, and her goal was to work with kids through their toughest times. In the summer of 2018, she was working at a children's day camp at Grinnell Regional Medical Center. She was getting ready to begin her sophomore year of college. Molly met her boyfriend, Dalton, when they were in high school. It was October of 2015 that they met. He was a football player who was a senior while Molly was a junior at that that time. After a game, Dalton and his friend were hanging out. They were sitting in one of their pickup trucks. When Molly's friend came over to talk to Dalton's friend, Dalton immediately noticed how funny and attractive Molly was. They hit it off like right from the Mm get-go. He knew it, and he got her number. I was thinking you just watched Goodwill Hunting. Hey, you like apples? I got a number. (laughs) How do you like them apples? So they began dating, which involved going out to like a lot of dinners. You know, I remember we started dating around that age, junior year of high school, and I remember we'd go to dinner and see movies and stuff like that, and they did the typical things. They were even just happy to stay home, just enjoying each other's company. I remember sharing the straw for the first time as like as we both had interest. I think we both had interest yeah we did we we got a coke at the movie theater i think we were seeing um what the cable guy yeah with with jim carrey yeah that's how old we are folks if (laughs) you've never heard of that movie or you consider it a classic then yeah that's how old we are yeah exactly we're as old as dirt so molly ran track and cross country she competed on the local debate team while she was in high school she was very well liked i mean people just love this girl she was uh, well known in the town she babysat for a lot of the local families she was also involved in her local catholic church Her aunt described her as beautiful, positive. Molly graduated high school in 2017, and she headed off to college about 50 miles away at the University of Iowa while Dalton stayed back in Brooklyn. He lived with his brother and worked in construction. University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. Big 10. Big school. Yeah. I I imagine it's pretty hard to get into. I'm sure. Yeah. She sounds like she was a very driven, smart girl. So Dalton and um, Molly made sure that they saw each other. You know, they had the distance 50 miles. That's no big deal. They saw each other on every weekend. They even made time during certain weekdays to see each other, too. That's right around that time where relationships start to fall apart or get stronger or whatever they might be. Yeah. You and I happen to go to the same university. We didn't necessarily really plan it. um, No. We really didn't. When I was making my applications, I... If you didn't make it into something closer, I probably would have gone to like Colorado or Arizona State. Sure, you would have. Hey, I, I put it out there. I, I got you accepted. You went to Northern Illinois University because of me? Well, no. Also, just to be local and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I think that was more of the case. Well, it's also that uh, sweet, sweet smell of you. That's right. So, um, Dalton felt that Molly was the kindest and sweetest person he had ever met in his life. You can't say that about me. So well, Yeah, I mean, you're definitely top 20. <laughs> now that it was summer, Molly and Dalton were back together in the same town. He was doing a construction job in Dubuque, Iowa, um, which was a, like about a two and a half hour drive from Brooklyn. So he asked Molly if she could stay at his house. He lived with his brother. He asked if she could watch his brother's dog. He last saw her on July 16th. He left town the next day on the 17th. So on the 18th, the day that Molly went missing, she sent Dalton a Snapchat at some point. He didn't get around to opening it until 10 p.m. He could see the in the photo that he she sent her or him, I should say, that she was inside at the time. 
He woke up the next morning to his cell phone resting against his face. He had fallen asleep before he had a chance to respond to her. He texted her good morning, and when she didn't respond, he texted her again at noon, and once again, he didn't hear back from her. So he just chalked it up to her being busy. He himself was busy. You know, he was doing a construction job. He was distracted. So Dalton also got a phone call from Molly's coworker that day, and she let him know that Molly hadn't shown up to work, and she hadn't called in sick. And this was not characteristic of Molly. Okay. So that's really when, you know, you start to worry. So Dalton began to reach out to family and friends asking if they had heard from Molly as he and his brother made their drive back from Dubuque to Brooklyn. You know, I can't really blame him about the being distracted thing because they're young and you might just think, okay, well, maybe she's just doing something. Maybe mm-hmm. she, yeah, you could always have difficult. Maybe she just doesn't want it. Maybe I made her mad or whatever. I can't think about it right now. I got to do my work and then I'll, I'll figure it out later. The only time I'm persistent too when I'm messaging you is if I'm waiting on an answer because we'll text each other like random thoughts throughout the day because we're both very busy throughout the day and i wouldn't say unless i was asking you a question and you didn't get back to me that i'd be like where the hell is he right you know so i'm sure he was just like oh good morning and you know he starts working his construction job so he wasn't very worried and he even said that as he was making his drive back with his brother from dubuque even at that time he wasn't overly concerned he thought there was going to be a good reason why she wasn't responding. Unless you're a true crime listener, you aren't thinking the worst. (laughs) Exactly. So he felt like she would show up with a good explanation. So Dalton called Molly's parents, who contacted police to report Molly missing that day because nobody had seen Molly. So this was on Thursday, July 19th, that she was officially reported missing. A neighbor remembered seeing her at around 7.30 p.m. on the 18th when she would have set out for her normal jog. And this neighbor recalled that Molly was wearing gym shorts, a black sports bra, and running shoes. Dalton's house was on the edge of town, just where the pavement turned to gravel, and Molly was described as a creature of habit. It was her routine to take her daily evening run through town. She would go always before dark. And the community came together with hundreds of people coming out to comb the rural woods of Powashik County. And of course, it's a small town. Everybody knows Molly. Everybody's going to band together to try to find her. Seems like she'd be somewhat popular, you know, like confident enough to go up to football players, her and her friend, you know, those kind of people that... You know, just kind of have that confidence and mm-hmm. sounded like she was really nice and always on you know, on time. And yeah. Things, so. And you could tell from her picture, she was like always smiling, silly, stuff like that. And I remember one of the investigators I heard in one of his interviews, he was like, I've never seen such nice text messages on a person's phone. Aww. Like they were every text message and every interaction was just so nice. You know, a lot of these stories, unfortunately, blend together because they're all so horrible. And that I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. That uh, An investigator said that her text messages were nice. They really stood out to him. So, you know, everybody's coming together. They're looking for her. Thousands are sharing Molly's story. Pictures of her are on social media. Missing posters filled the windows of every downtown storefront on Jackson Street. And her brother remembers thinking, like, how surreal it is to be in a store and see your sister's face attached to a missing poster. Like, they couldn't believe that this was the reality. Oh, yeah. You're always in there like, ah, oh, I hope they find that poor person. And, and it's like, that's my sister. This is my person. Yeah. So the sign described Molly as five foot two, about 120 pounds. She had long brown hair and brown eyes. 
The area surrounded is surrounded by farm ground with corn and soybean crops. And of course, she's going missing in July. This is high time in Iowa. Yeah, corn is like, what, seven feet tall, basically? At this point, it was about eight or nine feet tall. Yeah. So the fields where they were combing through were very, very dense. It was hard to get through. They said we could basically walk on like every other aisle of the cornfield. It's so thick. Like it's not like what you're seeing on a ghost movie or something because no. that's when it's dried out already. This is like the, the biggest and thickest the corn is. Well, what do they say? Knee high or high as a grasshopper's eye or something. Fourth of July, high as a something. Something eye, lie, I, An July. elephant's eye or something like yeah. that. It, it grows very quickly. You know, we're from Illinois. There's a lot of cornfields there. So, you know, I could very much relate to this. We went to college in the middle of like corn town so much corn they gave it away for free during yeah, a fest. we had a corn fest yeah, at the great. start of college in august so you know this is like their booming time with the crop growth so um planes and drones are trying to assist in the search but it was very difficult because when they're looking down on the cornfields they don't see anything but the tops of the stalks yeah just green and yellow or whatever it's not like they could look in between the rows when they're flying these drones so it was not an easy task you think because you know the technology you'd be able to find it quicker but yeah i guess it's like a, a forest a dense forest it's it is very much so so the investigation of course is starting to zero in on her digital footprint molly was very well connected online i mean that'd be the first place i'd start obviously you know she's a 20 year old college student yeah so she's, she's gonna have it on her very heavily on social media um, after she had gone missing, she fell off the grid. This is never, ever a good sign. No. There was no cell phone or banking activity. Molly also wore her Fitbit 24-7. Nobody could find her Fitbit because, of course, it was on her. She was on her run. We assume she's wearing her Fitbit as she always did to track her run. And, um, you know, she would use it to sleep as well. They hoped that if they could obtain her Fitbit data, that maybe it could help find her tracking the routes she had taken in the past. Mm. We know it's not a very large town. It's it's not like her routes that she would be running on would be super diverse. It's That's not like she's smart. in the city of Brooklyn. She's in the town of Brooklyn where, you know, there's only a certain number of places she could run. Even if you're in the city, you, pretty, you know, most runners are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. They're going to run this because you know how many miles a certain track is. So. And you know what your time is if you're trying to beat it. You know yeah. what it typically would take you. Yeah. So Molly's brother, Scott Tibbetts, believed that his sister would be fighting her best to get back home. He felt that whatever the situation she could possibly be in, she would not just sit there and give up. She was a fighter. Yeah. You know, everybody's mind is going a million miles a moment of where, where could she possibly be? And, you know, I don't care like what she was wearing or whatever. It's like, you know, I'm sure people out there are probably like, well, you know, you're wearing a sports bra That's or whatever. Absolute bullshit. It's like, I just shut your effing mouths and stop listening if that's your thought process because uh i mean anybody any female running should have the freedom to be able to run you know i mean that's it's, it's she's trying to do her health something do something healthy for her health and yeah just somebody looks at her i, I don't give a shit what the girl was wearing she was yeah. out on an evening run minding her own business nothing should have happened to her no. except for a good run and to come back home feeling invigorated so when Dalton was questioned, of course he was questioned. You know, I know he's in Dubuque, but he's close to Molly. Always first thing. Yeah. He told police, you know, he'd been 140 miles away in Dubuque, working as part of a crew, building a bridge. As long as he pings that all that stuff and the story's yeah. good, then he's good. 
He had worked 12 hours on July 18th, the day that Molly had gone missing. He said he drank beer and played yard games with the crew after until he went back to his hotel to sleep. It did come out during the trial that during their three-year relationship, he had cheated on Molly once. She had discovered his infidelity while she looked through his phone. Um, so, you know, all of this kind of dirty laundry is being aired as, sucks. as oftentimes these things happen. I mean, it's, uh, it's typical. I mean, teenage stuff. You, yeah, bro- you broke up young. with me for 30 seconds. And I oh in Lord. I, we hear about this all the time. Hey, I didn't break up with you. So. I said, I don't know. I'm confused. Maybe we should see other people. And Mike turned to walk away and I said, wait, stop. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I was a little more badass too. I was like, Hey, if that's what you think, I don't feel the same way, but. And then in my head, I'm starting to put up my Rolodex. I got the cream of the crop sitting right here next to me, folks. Yeah. That so, would have been my big mistake. Not to make it about me, but um, yeah, you definitely want to look into <clears throat> the, the significant other. And yeah, these young kids, you know, cheating that, you know, some, that happens. Yeah. So they worked through it. They never broke up, but he did admit that three days before Molly had disappeared, she told him that she was still sad and upset about his infidelity. Dalton admitted that he initially told police that he was watching a movie at his hotel. He didn't disclose his infidelity, and it also came out that phone records indicated that he saw Molly's Snapchat at 1 a.m. instead of 10, 10.30 p.m. as he initially told them. I think he was just nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know why he didn't tell the truth from the get-go. He had nothing to do with Molly's disappearance. Maybe he was drunk or something and just Maybe. 1 a.m. felt like 10 p.m. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Regardless, he had nothing to do with it. Um, he was cleared as a suspect very right. quickly. So police canvassed the area near Molly's house, her typical dragging route, <clears throat> as well as where she worked. They visited every single home in Brooklyn, every farm building, every barn and shed was searched. As the days went by with no sign of Molly, Dalton continued to text Molly, telling her how much he loves her, how much he misses her and wants her to come home. He called her for days and days after she went missing, hoping for the unlikely chance she would actually pick up that time. But each and every time her phone was dead and it went to voicemail. That's the worst. Like you're just hoping that you get an extra ring. Right. Exactly. Yes, it's connected and you can ping it somehow, some way. Of course, you're thinking it sounds like a positive person in general. Mm -hmm. Just holding out hope. So a critical break in the case came when Logan Collins, who lived in the area at the time, contacted authorities with home surveillance video. At the time, Logan was living at 616 West Des Moines Street in Brooklyn, and his family's home had multiple security cameras with views of the surrounding properties and streets. He didn't personally know Molly, but he was able to identify her as, you know, obviously these missing reports are coming out. He's like, oh, yeah, I know that girl. She jogs by our house sometimes. So he was able to put two and two together of who she was. So um, the video... Well, I mean, you know, anytime there's a young girl, you kind of take notice and... Well, yeah, she's a cute young girl. I know the people jogging in the subdivision. Mm -hmm. You see the same people every day. Yeah, super cute, you know, young girls that do their jogging. And of course, there's somebody running by. You you notice them. Yeah. So the video captured a black Chevy Malibu with distinctive chrome mirror covers. You could tell this wasn't something that was just put on on the assembly line. This was something that, like a detail that somebody had added after the fact. Chrome mirror covers yeah so the side view mirrors had chrome covers rather than being the same color of the car got it so it was more distinctive and stood out more hey if you're gonna um you know steal somebody or murder them you definitely want a car that stands out exactly sounds like a super smart person so the chrome mirror or the mirrors were covered as well as the door handles and the chrome rims so when the video was reviewed there was images of a jogger so i'm gonna tell you that 
when I first pictured what they were saying, I pictured seeing Molly jog. That was not the case at all. There is a blip of movement between two houses out in the distance. And when they zoomed in, they could kind of see that it was Molly. They could see that there was like a ponytail like bouncing. When you look at these pictures, if you look at these pictures, it's I couldn't even really see her. It's like a couple pixels, basically. Perhaps I I really couldn't even see her. But regardless, they identified this as being Molly. Thank God. Yeah. So they saw, you know, this jogger who was believed to be Molly. She was located on Boundary Street at the time that she was picked up on this video and she was heading towards the intersection of East Des Moines Street. I wonder who saw it. Like Logan is the one that saw it, right? Well, Logan had all this video. Okay. He knows that Molly jogs by his house sometimes. So he's coming forward to say, hey guys, take this video. It could help you. Great job to whoever found it. Thank goodness. And thank goodness Logan came forward to help out. So um, uh, so this was time stamped on the video July 18th, 2018 at 7.45 p.m. The black Malibu was seen in the frame 28 seconds after Molly was seen jogging in the video. A different view from a camera facing northeast showed what authorities believed was the same car driving on Middle Street at the intersection with uh, East Court. This image was obtained exactly two minutes after the jogger appeared on the video. The driver of the car nor the license plate could be identified from the video. The Malibu again passed Logan's cameras at 8.07 p.m., this time at a higher speed, heading east on Des Moines Street. The timestamps on the video were three minutes behind, so the Malibu was last seen closer to about 8.10 p.m. That's the last images they saw. Authorities noticed other cars driving in the video. They figured out who those cars belonged to because, of course, you're seeing a small town cars. These are neighbors. They easily found them. They talked to them. Their locations were, you know, dismissed. They were not people of interest. So it was this black Malibu that's standing out. Yeah, that's their target. So um, 14 cars were seen on the cameras. Six were the Malibu. So it was passing, passing, turning around, passing. Uh, That's uh, like we're hearing a lot of stories. Suspicious. Yeah. It's suspected that Molly was abducted at 8.20 p.m. on a rural road approximately two miles away. That's where what they whittled it down to. Deputy Steve Kivy from Powashik County Sheriff's Department reviewed the video lead on August 15th, 2018. The very next day, he just happened to see the black Malibu driving. Whoa. Again, and distinctive. He saw, he, he saw the video following day. There's the car. Oh, that's so, got to be like, like licking his chops. Just like, all right, here we it's go. It's like, holy crap. It's on. Again, it stood out because of these mirrors. I mean, there's a million black cars out and about. Again, this is a small town, but still. Thank he God was for able idiocy. to easily identify it as a car he saw in the it's video. It's not like, um, like a dark Honda Civic. It's like, exactly. this is the one. Or like a silver car. You yeah. know, there's a, a dime a dozen. So he saw the Malibu getting on I-80 right outside of Brooklyn. So he followed the car. When the car stopped and Officer Kivy got out, the male driver was already out of the car. This was 24-year-old Christian Bahena Rivera. Officer Kivy said that this person was calm. They were very polite, but it was very clear that they spoke little English. An older gentleman just happened to be nearby who spoke Spanish. He translated for Officer Kivy. So he was asked, do you know about Molly? He said he had heard about her, but denied having anything to do with her disappearance. He gave the officer his birth certificate as his ID and provided his place of employment as being Yarrabee Farms as his address. So not only did he work there, he also lived on the property. 
So Yarraby Farms is owned by, or maybe it's Yarraby. Yarraby Farms is owned by the family of prominent Iowa Republican leader Craig Lang. They allowed Rivera to live on the property rent-free. He took a picture of Rivera and the car. When I say he, Officer Kivy took a picture of Rivera and his car. He did not search the car. He just looked inside and let Rivera go. He has, you know, nothing that he can, you know, he doesn't have a search warrant for the car. He just happened to see him. Yeah, as long as a guy, I mean, you can ask the guy if you can look in there. Yeah, I and guess if he you gave you permission, you can. I wonder what happened there. But also, um, didn't we have another story where, um, I think I, I covered it, where um, the, the farm helpers, they let them live on the land, like in in return for like working the land and stuff. I don't know. That doesn't sound familiar to me, but yeah, I, I researched something about that. Okay. So that's, that's pretty, typical. it could be now, you know, honestly, I think of Iowa, I think of a bunch of white people. And so, you know, hearing a Hispanic name, you mm-hmm. know, is definitely interesting too. So he probably stood out a little bit. Perhaps um, who knows, but it, it sounded like there were a decent amount of Hispanic people that were working as farmhands. It makes sense to live on the property because when you're farming, you're working from sunup to sundown it's you don't have any commute so right. it makes perfect sense <clears throat> i mean pretty Excuse lucky me. to be able to find a spanish-speaking person nearby yeah what I'm i mean that's that really is it's kind of uncanny so four days later it was august 20th officer kivy went to yerby farms to speak with rivera who was then brought into the station for a formal interview it lasted 12 hours wow. he confirmed that the malibu in the surveillance video was his he purchased the car from his cousin he had a second car as well, which was a Nissan Altima, which he drove on the back gravel roads because its registration was out of date. Since the Malibu's registration was current, he used this car to drive around town. So he claimed that on the evening that Molly was missing or went missing, he was driving around Brooklyn trying to get to his uncle's house to pick up a vacuum cleaner. He said he passed Molly three times while she jogged and he she waved at him once and he found her hot. That's what he told the police officer. That's when the police officer raises his eyebrows. Like, okay, interesting. We got a little extra here. Yep. So he said he got out of his car. So now he's implicating her and himself in what happened. Mm -hmm. He said that he ran alongside her. He said that she grabbed her phone and threatened to call the police. They started fighting. And according to him, Molly slapped him. She sa- he said that he got so mad that he blacked out at the threat of her calling the police claiming that this happened often when he got upset and angry, meaning he would black out and not have any recollection of what happened in those moments. I think I knew one person that that happened to. Wow. And uh, I don't like that person at all. That's but a little scary. It happened at work and like he got so mad. I'm just like, okay. And I was his manager. I'm like, man, if he hits me, he's going to be fired. Like, and this is crazy. he said he blacked out? Um, No, but he was kind of known for that. Like he had some history, this, this person. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm kind of certain. Yes, I do. Yeah, the place but... I worked at longest yeah so um that's that's scary and you could kind of see it in his eyes that he just blacked out and he had a history of doing things and he'd just be like i don't even remember doing it i mean that's where you need to get some anger management happening here and there's absolutely mental stuff going on there absolutely so he said that the next thing he knew he woke up inside of his car it was parked in a rural intersection he made a u-turn and drove to the entrance of a cornfield at one point he looked down he noticed one of molly's earbuds was in his lap and he realized that he had Molly's body in his trunk. 
He said he went to the trunk and saw that she had blood on the side of her head. He took her body out of the trunk, placed her over his shoulder, walking about 20 meters into a secluded part of the cornfield, which I'm assuming is most parts of the cornfield are pretty damn secluded. If you see the videos, like they actually in one of the videos I saw, it took her run path exactly as she would have gone that that night. I mean, it's a very small cornfield town. There's a lot of secluded parts. Yeah. So he left her laying on the ground of the cornfield face up. Rivera took Deputy Kivy to the cornfield at 5 a.m. on August 21st, and then her badly decomposed body was located. So uh, terrible. Man. She was covered in corn stalks. Only her running shoes were visible. So you can tell he tried to hide her body. Yeah, and probably would have been hidden for a long time until... Oh, until they know. had to harvest. Oh, I don't even want to think about I that. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah. So um, her body was uncovered and she was wearing only black socks and her pink sports bra. Her legs were splayed open. Her black shorts, her underwear and her pink headband were found 34 feet further into the cornfield. There were absolutely no signs of sexual assaults. Oh, really? Yeah. No. So why he took her shorts off? I, I have no idea. Oh, wow. I truly have no idea. I mean, it doesn't make things any better. No, of course it doesn't, but it's just something, you know. You totally expect that because of many of these The way that, you know, she was killed and and found with her shorts off. An autopsy found that she had been stabbed 7 to 12 times in the chest, ribs, neck, and skull. With what? Uh, Some sort of knife. She had died from um, sharp force injuries. The murder weapon was never found. Hmm. A judge ruled that the statements that Rivera made during his interrogation in these 12 hours that he spoke to police and basically said everything could not be used during the trial because the officer who was with him during the interview left out the blip in the Miranda rights about statements that can be used against him. Oh, my God. That's like, I guess it's like the one little thing, man. That sucks so bad. It's why it's important, I guess, to say the right you, things you, legally. You have to. You have to cross your T's, dot your I's, like with a fine-tuned tooth comb. I mean, it was one little blip left out of the Miranda rights, and because of that, this couldn't be used. However, I will tell you, he gets justice. Okay, thank so, God. So, just to let you know. So, both of Rivera's cars were searched and processed, because we know he drove the one in the back. Obviously, they're more in tune with the uh, Malibu. They know that's the car he would have put Molly's body into. And, you know, the Malibu did contain various items in the trunk. Blood was found on a football, a two-piece fishing pole, and the rubber seal above the license plate, as well as on the carpeted walls of the trunk's interior. All of these things matched Molly's DNA. Uh. So during the trial, Rivera changed his story. He denied having anything to do with the stab wounds to Molly's body that caused her death. Yeah, I just uh, ran with her and she slapped me and all this stuff, even though uh, everything we heard. So I guess he's trying to take his opportunity. To sure, try to... because they can't use that in the trial. Oh, man. I mean, he was given a golden opportunity. Let's hear how this dumbass Jagoff screws it up. He he uh, spun a tall tale here. He claimed that two armed men wearing black face masks covered with stocking ca- or his, their faces covered with stocking caps showed up to his trailer after his work shift. The men directed him to get into his car and drive. This is when they just happened to pass Molly as she jogged, you know? Oh, my God. When they saw her, these two men ordered him to stop. He said that a man with a knife got out of the car and walked down a rural road and was gone for 10 minutes. The second man who waited in the back seat started to get nervous. When the man with the knife came back to the car, he and the second man loaded something into the truck or into the trunk of the car. They directed him to drive several miles to a rural area, turn off the car, wait a few minutes, and leave. 
He didn't know their identity, but he claimed that they knew his ex-girlfriend and as well as his young daughter, and they said that they would harm them if he ever told anyone about what happened. He said that the two men left on foot down the road, and he never saw them again. Wow, pretty pretty oh, crazy. I know. It's got to be crazy to be a cop that's like, you just told me everything that happened, and <laughs> now like, you're just making up some bullshit crazy story. Absolutely absurd. I mean, there had to have been a spot, I'm, I don't know if he'll tell us like why he, he turned, but... Um, where the cops were probably questioning him like after that and like no cameras or anything and be like, listen, man, you little piece of shit. If you don't come out with your story, we're going to have our friends like Bill and Terry and Fred beat the living shit out of you and you're going to die in jail. I promise you that. Or you're going to come out and change your story back. Well, I mean, hopefully that's this what is all coming out in the trial. This is, this is all my fantasy in my head. So he said then that, you know, obviously these men left. They were on foot. He never saw them again. He said when he looked inside his trunk, he saw Molly's body, which he carried into the cornfield. He said he covered her body with the corn stalk so that she wouldn't be too exposed to the sun. What a sweetheart. So nice. Yeah. I mean, he just wanted a proper burial. Yeah. He said off. that he left her phone, her Fitbit, and her earbuds on the side of the road. I, from what I read, they never did find her Fitbit or her phone. That's mm. what I, my understanding. Interesting. He said he lied to the detectives during his interrogation about the story he initially told them when they questioned him on August 20th because he feared for his daughter's safety. I mean, he had to spin up this whole story and make sure it was as close to ironclad as possible that, mm-hmm. you know, it's within reason. You right. Know? And then hopefully can try to convince a jury that it's not complete horseshit. He said he brought police to Molly's body because he was tired. He wanted the 12-hour interrogation to end. He told police that he grew up in southern Mexico and came to the U.S. illegally when he turned 17. He crossed a river into Texas in an inflatable raft with 10 others. He immediately came to Iowa where his uncles had settled and he had gotten a job as a, at a dairy farm. He worked 12-hour days. He avoided the police at all costs for fear of deportation. He never had any interaction with the police until Mo- Molly's murder investigation. His paychecks were received under the name of John Budd. So Yerabee Farms is initially claiming that they verified Rivera's immigration status through the federal E-Verify program, which indicated, though, that they were never subscribed to the program at all. <laughs> ruh <Ruh-roh. laughs> Whoopsies. <laughs> Whoopsies. Oh, I thought I was sending it. It was uh, federalprogram.com. <laughs> and they said, good. You press this button. It just says it good. It just said, good. He's yeah. verified. It's, and it shows up in green. So <laughs> surely he's he's totally he legal. He was good. Yeah. Yerby Farms claimed that it used Social, Social Security Administration System and clarified that Rivera had given them false information. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. And you know that like every single big farm has this going on of rampantly, course. which uh, is insane. It's it's a small town they're easily able to hide these people because they're living in little trailers in the midst of their cornfields god forbid the gigantic farm conglomerate can't make an extra couple cents so i guess um when all of this started coming out all of the immigrants in the farm towns like started to just like flee and then the, wow and then the shortage of corn and stuff and then everybody's kind of screwed it's just like the whole system you know I, this is kind of very political but I mean, it, it is very political unfortunately yeah but i mean there should be a good way to, for everybody to get you know um become a citizen mm-hmm. the defense for rivera highlighted the possibility of a false confession using vis- video evidence of rivera sleeping during his nearly 12-hour interrogation they picked him up at Yerby Farms after a 12-hour shift. So it's 
not, uh, you know, crazy that he was tired. You know, he was basically up for 24 hours at this point. And there's a lot of stories where police just weigh people down. And, you know, 12 hours is a long time for anyone. So like after a 12 hour shift. Oh, okay. So so this is 24 hours now that he's awake because he worked for 12 hours. Now they're talking to him for 12 hours. So the video showed him sleeping. Um, They played 30 minutes of him sleeping at three times of the speed, focusing on the fact that he had just finished a shift at his farm prior to the extensive investigation. Of course, you know, they're asking the person who was questioning, like, oh, I didn't know he was sleeping. But in the video, she says to him, oh, you you fall asleep? (laughs) It's like, oh, we just heard you address the fact that he was sleeping. Gotcha. You definitely did. (laughs) So the trial began in late May of 2021. It lasted seven days. And after seven hours of deliberation over the course of two days, on May 28th, Rivera was convicted of first-degree murder. And on Monday, August 30th, 2021, three years after Molly disappeared, Rivera was sentenced to life in prison without parole. When he was given the opportunity to speak, he replied, no, thank you. Judge Joel Yates addressed Rivera. You and you alone forever changed the lives of those who loved Molly Tibbetts. Molly's mom, Laura Calderwood, read her victim impact statement addressing Rivera in court. Molly was a young woman who simply wanted to go for a quiet run on the evening of July 18th, and you chose to violently and sadistically end that life. Laura remembers being told by investigators that they had found Molly's body. She was out and she raced home to tell relatives before they could learn the horrific news from the media. The hardest part was telling Molly's grandma, who was in disbelief that someone could harm such a beautiful and vibrant young woman, which had she was so full of promise. She had her whole life ahead of her. She was at the University of Iowa. She was focusing on child psychology. We know that this girl would have made a world of a difference in so many people's lives. And it's just so tragic that because she was out jogging, this happened to her. Yeah. Trying to get better and whatever. And uh, I've got a couple things. So one did the, the, was a statement translated to Spanish? I hope. So he had headphones on during the whole trial. Okay. So as the trial was going on, because initially, you know, I just wasn't putting two and two together this first time I saw his picture. I'm like, why the fuck is he wearing headphones in every picture? It's because that was a translating system that he used. Smart. So, yes. Okay. I mean, that, that was obvious, but I was just picturing him sitting there and they're saying it in English. And oh, just like, I mean, that would be terrible useless. and useless. Yeah. Um, so Dalton was never able to give Molly the engagement ring that he had already purchased oh, for her. Man. And her father was never given the chance to walk his only daughter down the aisle. Because of your actions, Mr. Rivera, I will never get to see my daughter become a mother. Oh, it's just so sad. So um, Molly's murder prompted criticism, of course, like we just said, this was became political because of who killed her. Well, you know, like mm-hmm. one side. So just so everybody knows, I'm just kind of central. Just, you know, I have different thoughts of different things. My mind's completely open. So if there's ideas, I'll listen to them. Yeah, whatever. we're very open minded people. Yeah. And it's just, you know, somebody's going to latch onto it and be like, you know, the illegals and they shouldn't be coming over. Well, it's like, you know, I yeah, I'll tell you right away that this happened in 2018. So. So um, this prompted a lot of criticism in the U.S. immigration system. In August of 2018, Donald Trump tweeted about Molly's death. Molly Tibbetts, an incredible young woman, is now permanently separated from her family. And he used the term permanently separated because that was like a political thing because of the whole thing that was going on. Um, But he said, a person came in from Mexico illegally and killed her. We need the wall. We need our immigration laws changed. We need our border laws changed. 
Molly's aunt shared a post that she asked people not to compound the atrocity of what happened to Molly by adding racism and hate into the equation. She said, evil comes in every color. Our family has been blessed to be surrounded by love, friendship, and support throughout this entire ordeal by friends of all different nations and races. Rob Tibbetts, who is Molly's dad, he slammed the suggestion that the person who was accused of taking Molly's life is no more a reflection of the Hispanic community as white supremacists are of all white people. He didn't appreciate his daughter being used as a pawn in the immigration debate. He urges Americans to build bridges, not walls. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I'm not saying anything politically, but it's just, um, yeah, I, we all can agree that there should be a path to you know, naturalization and United States citizenship. Right now, it's really expensive to do so. You know, all of us are here because most, you know, at least the white people uh, are here because people emigrated from somewhere else and they sure. were able to have access to a, a way to become citizens, which is a little easier than now and say what you will. Everybody should be definitely a citizen or on the path towards mm-hmm. it for sure. I think everybody agrees on that. Yeah. So whatever, build walls and whatever. It's it's kind of sad. Like you're like, I'm just trying to grieve my daughter here. Please yeah. And that they her, just didn't appreciate it. her being used as part of the debate. It's whatever it is, what, whoever did it, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Horrible. By a mentally ill person mm-hmm. that should not have done this. Right. The weird thing is, from my understanding, he never had any records against him. Like, what what possessed this man to well, do this? You know, it's just one of those crimes of passion or whatever. And it just takes a second for somebody to snap. Maybe he's, you know, he's never been caught. Like, there's not, there. Um, you know how there's like, we always say there's no history. But it's like, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people walking around the streets now. They have no history. But you walk by him, it's like, this guy probably needs some help. I mean, what prompted you to stop your car, get out of it and start jogging next to this girl that you didn't know? And if anything to poor girls out there, you feel something, just run, man. Just mm-hmm. is fast. Nothing Molly could have done differently just if anything her story can hopefully help somebody just get the hell away from something so molly's murder sparked a nationwide discussion about the risks women face when running outdoors women began honoring molly with miles hashtag molly miles for molly movement showing that they will persevere that was something as i was typing i'm like i for the life of me can't say the word persevere i always think preserve (laughs) me too persevere despite the horrific loss Before Molly's murder, Runner's World magazine conducted their first survey of the types of harassment women in the U.S. experience when out running. The 2017 survey showed that 43% of women experienced harassment while running, and it was any kind, like catcalling. Somebody driving by, teenagers like, woo, baby. Yeah, just, you know, unwanted attention. Like, I just want to fucking run. Leave me the hell alone. And 53, the number rose to 58%, sorry, for women under age 30. 94% name men as the primary perpetrators. And only 4% of men report the same. So we're looking at around 58% of women who are under 30, whereas 4% of men can go out and get harassed. And the other 96% can freely be out and about without being friggin' catcalled or talked to or somehow harassed. Yeah. I mean, like there's, like you said, cute girls are running around the subdivision. And no doubt about it, 100% somebody's cat killed Like, what them. the fuck? It's, uh, it's tough. It's, uh, I mean, it's hard enough being a woman as it is. And to, to, I mean, when I'm jogging at night, you know, all I'm scared about is some kind of monster coming out or like a or vampire. Or like an alligator or something like that. <laughs> it's more likely in, you know, Florida. Mostly monsters and vampires. <laughs> okay. And it's, it's my story, so I'm going to stick with it. And I, right. I don't have to worry about this stuff. Whereas I cannot, like you, 
I would not imagine any of these girls being outside of our subdivision at night like this. That's just not even something you should do because all it takes is one truck with some weirdo that just sees you and is like, oh, I'm going to turn it around and whatever and comes get you. Like as a man, I, I don't get catcalled or anything. I don't have to worry about that stuff because I'm kind of heavy, 6'2", 245. Nobody wants to pick me well, up. Well, it doesn't matter me. what your size is. The point is the study showed that only 4% of men, regardless of how you look, we're experiencing the same harassment. And as a man, you know, I've, I, like I said, I'm open to ideas and I always absorb things. And uh, it's something like, I think, why do men can't call women? And I don't know for sure, but it's got to be something like, we want you to know that we think you're hot and we want that attention where it's like, you look at us. Like, do you, you know. think we're going to look at you and be like, oh, hey, how's it going? You want to go out? No, and we don't care. And not that I can't call girls at all. Like in the past, you know, whatever, teenagers being stupid. No, I don't even think you did that when you were a teenager. No, like maybe a girls I knew at high school would be like, what's up, girl? Well, Obviously. for a joke, yeah, yes. Yeah. But you Can weren't, I let you? You weren't out catcalling women you did not know. No, no. Never. So, but I mean, as guys, we'd be like, oh, she's cute. Oh, she's hot. Of course, right? Well, sure. But you're human. As a man, I think, and I think about it, like it enters my brain sometimes, like, wow, that girl's pretty. And then I think, I think a guy just wants to be noticed. Like they want to make that connection. So if girls, if you hear that, don't look. Like that would hurt a guy more than anything if you look and give the finger that's almost like confer- like a troll online if somebody's like saying dumb shit to you online mm-hmm. engaging with them is the worst thing you can right, do because they're getting that validation so speaking as a man just pretend like you heard nothing yeah or somebody revs their big stupid truck don't even look they want the attention right so when molly's case was covered in the media many asked the question why was she running alone which implies that she was doing something wrong and shouldn't have been oh there's always those fucking people i just want to like I- I want to punch him in the just Whoa. like I hate it so much. Like, why was she? Because she's a, a person that wanted to run. Like, right. are you supposed to call somebody and be like, "Hey, I want to run. Can you please like come with me?" I'm taking my microphone away from my face because it's so infuriating. Because she's a human being that wants to run and not be fucking killed while she's running. Exactly. And what needs to be focused on is that she shouldn't have been harassed in the first place. No shit. When Runner's World article was pub- published about this whole survey. Responses range from all runners get heckled or buy a treadmill. And that's actually what one politician said. Yeah, you should buy a treadmill. Ugh. Like, you're an asshole. There's so many idiots and dumbasses and, ugh, gosh. There have been many conversations about how women can protect themselves when out running, being aware of people in your vicinity, avoiding wearing headphones if you're in a secluded area, taking self-defense classes. Molly's tragedy echoed similar cases. In 2016, in August of 2016, three female joggers in the U.S. were murdered over the course of just nine days Jesus. each one was on a route they'd traveled before each one was out during the day oh and during the day during the day <sighs> holly curl founder of nonprofit stop street harassment which is a group that focuses on ending gender-based harassment in public spaces feels that the conversations need to start in schools with boys and young men to really work on redefining masculinity she feels that it's much easier to tell women not to go running by themselves than to tell men not to harass them. And obviously, these are conversations we need to have with our boys. Like, you don't do stuff like this. And the reason, you have to give them reasons, in my opinion. I don't know for sure, but I, I need a reason when I'm told something. Because you respect a woman, and she's not an object that you're out to hoot at. But to me, it would help me more knowing how women feel. 
when that happens. Oh, yeah, for sure. If I was telling our son, I'd be like, you don't friggin' do that because she's not an object, which would make her feel, you know, like a piece of meat. Now you're getting to it. And and it's more about feeling like less valued. Yeah. Like, so that's that's the deep feeling, I think, you know, that I want to prevent. Like, I, you know, when you can't call, you're only thinking selfishly of yourself. So to talk to like boys as speaking as a man, boy, whatever, uh, former boy, now man, I, you can say, you know, you doing that is all fun and games for you, but the person that you're doing it to feels less valued. And like, it's almost like you're shitting on them. Like you're saying you're not worth me being a, a man enough to talk to you being like, Hey, how's it going? Like start right. up a conversation. It's so much easier to be like, Woo! and then drive by because you're a puss and you're not you know man enough to go talk to the girl right you know like that those are totally different things you just want her to look at you get a little attention and move on so for me explaining how the person feels is the best yeah and there are so many stories that were attached to this article that i read on runner's world and other articles attached to it about so many stories of women who have felt unsafe nothing actually ended up thank god happening to them but they definitely did not feel safe and molly went out during the day too just like anybody else you know as safe as possible and it's it's tough now you know uh, being open-minded i could maybe the the, the politician that said by a treadmill maybe he was thinking like the only safe way is by a treadmill like 100% safe you know, which is true because I mean yeah. you go out you're putting yourself out there but it's nothing on Molly's part whatsoever no, Molly has no she does not she didn't do anything wrong but I I mean I do understand because I work out in the morning before the sun is up and I do use our treadmill like five days a week because I don't feel safe. And that's sad. And like even at the gym parking lot, I go to the gym 536 in the morning. There's some cute girls walking in and it's kind of dark in some spots. It's like they tr- they try to light it as good as they can. It's just I can't I, I feel for women out there. It's just sad that as a female, we have to fear being out and about because somebody could do something to us. Yeah. Like Molly, who was in her small town of Brooklyn, Iowa, and went out for her nightly jog, minding her own business, and never came home and is never seen again and is never able to get married and live her life and go on because she went out for a fucking Jog. Some guy that got enraged and blacked, blacked out. out, quote unquote, blacked out. Or so and now he her says. Gone. Now her beautiful life's gone forever. He says he remembers taking her out of the trunk. He does not remember putting her in the trunk. Yeah, and not saying that that's story. Not saying that's valid or not. No, but I mean I've it doesn't matter. It. But yeah. Anyway, that is the horrifically tragic and sad story of the murder of Molly Tibbetts. Well, thank you for bringing it to our attention. And yeah, it's nothing about political. I mean, just it's uh, it's it's really sad. It is sad. You can't just be out running and enjoying yourself. It is. It's tragic. Well, thanks for bringing that up. And by the way, your shirt. We were talking about it earlier. It's a small. Okay. So I would say it fits somewhat standard. Yeah. mine. It's good. It's not like it. I wouldn't say it runs small. It's just like you you mentioned my arms. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're a bigger guy, though, I would say. Yeah. Like you're kind of built like a, a big li- chest. You're built like a linebacker. My boobs might be bigger than yours. They, I think they are. They're getting smaller. Yeah. But. You're going you know, to what do we say Um, in Seinfeld? Is it the bro or the man's ear? Yeah. Yeah. I could use like either that. one, I think would be nice. Well, Fred can Fred Costanzo. Was Frank, what the hell am I even talking about? Did I sleep last night? Frank Costanza will make you your bro. Yeah, so that'll be good. Um, we do want to say, if you like what you're hearing, then go ahead and uh, become a patron. Support us. Or, um, you know, you could even get some bonus episodes. We're up to, I think, 20 bonus episodes now. Yeah, it's, it's up right there. around there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you sign up. You have access to at least half of them. Depends which uh, tier you choose. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I want to say thank you to our new patrons that came along. 
uh, Sarah and Ashley Ray. So thank you yeah, so much. Thank you guys so much. It means the absolute world to us. I cannot even tell you. Yeah. It really keeps us going and we appreciate the heck out of all of you and we appreciate everyone who's here listening. So, so remember, thank you. go you leave a review on Spotify or Apple Music or uh, Amazon Audible or just a five star review helps us out a lot. Yeah. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your mom, tell your dad. Yeah. And if you'd like us, get a t-shirt. Yeah. Spread the word. You you become part of the Crime and Coffee Couple Club. Yeah, that's right. Lots Mm -hmm. of seeds there. Yeah. So until next time, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.